Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here. We decided to give you exactly one more podcast before draft night. And with all of the trades, all of the rumors going on in the NBA, this figures to be not just a huge night for these draft prospects, but a lot of veteran players on the move as well. We've already seen a little bit of that starting to get underway here. And nobody better who has their pul- their finger on the pulse of all that's going on around the NBA and has a unique really perspective on a lot of these prospects. Then good friend, Brian Kabrowski. Brian, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. I'm good, man. I'm good. I I, I definitely uh, take some issue with nobody better. There, you've had plenty of better guests recently. You've had an all-star lineup recently. So I uh, appreciate you having me join that list. Not at all, man. Not at all. It's, uh, it's a busy time, right? Uh, I think all of us are struggling to keep our head above water with all of the rumors, all of the intel, everything that gets aggregated, either rightly or not so rightly, out there on the internet. But at the end of the day, draft night is almost here. And by the time a lot of our listeners are are going to be getting this, it is draft day. So this is our, here at the Box and One, our draft day present to a lot of our followers and listeners out there. One last dive through at some of these prospects. At this point, there's so much out there online in terms of film study, or, you know, you can go to a number of different websites and get so many smart basketball people's opinions on these prospects. But what we don't necessarily have a great deal of or a great handle for is who they are as people. Uh, About two years ago, we put a piece out there on the internet called the 10 commandments of NBA draft scouting. And the final point and the most salient one on there is that this is about people. This is an investment that franchises and organizations are making in 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old men to not just become really good basketball players, but representatives of their organization, ambassadors of their brand. Handing somebody a multi-million dollar contract when they're essentially a teenager is a hell of a lot of responsibility. And I think what gets hidden from the public eye a lot is how much goes into the Intel side on who they are as people, the background research and digging into these young men. Uh, Brian, you've been covering the league and, and particularly the draft for the last several years, and, and you get a really intimate feel for who some of these guys are by having one-on-one access and doing interviews. But from a team perspective, I mean, how much do you know goes into this process of research and background that, that franchises are doing on these players? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's everything, uh, but it is a huge part uh, of what uh, goes into not only the pre-draft process, but also what makes a successful NBA player. Um, you know, the way I look at it is if you've made it this far along, um, you know, tomorrow we're going to see 22 guys, you know, in the, in the green room, right? 23, 24 guys in the green room, something like that. Uh, who are actually gonna be, let's, have, yeah. let's have 35 people. Let's just keep adding to that green room, green room list, Brian. Let's do it. I think, I think that there are some people who maybe rejected invitation so they could be with their family and have a draft party. Sometimes that's more fun. Last year, Bone Tyler had a whole club. I think he didn't even know he had gotten drafted uh, until shortly after. So, um, you know, let's say there are, you know, 40 projected first rounders, as you like to say, um, you know, I think that uh, for the most part, you know, all of them have the necessary size and skill and athleticism to have some success in the NBA. All of them do. That's how they got to this point. They wouldn't have made it to the point where, you know, people are talking about them as a projected first rounder if they didn't have that. Uh, and that's why so much of what happens is uh, after draft night, when it comes to 
uh, their development. And those are the guys who end up sticking around uh, because it's not about getting that first contract or, or getting your name called at all. It's, it's really about what you do with it, with that opportunity. Um, so for the most part, you know, the, like this, as you said, these teams are investing um, in what they think these players can become. Uh, that's true of every single player. You know, no one is going to be uh, the player they are tomorrow, you know, when they're done with their rookie contract. Um, some are going to be better. Some are going to be, you know, frankly worse because, um, you know, sometimes, you know, being within the NBA system, you don't have as much success as you did at previous levels. Um, so, you know, just like we saw Scotty Barnes last year go from, you know, ACC uh, sixth man of the year and coming off the bench for Florida State uh, into rookie of the year. Um, you know, you could see something similar again this year. I think there are a few guys this year who, who weren't starters. Uh, you know, some potential top, some of these green room guys weren't starters last year. Um, and I think some of them could be, you know, in that conversation again next year. So, you know, when I look at it, it, it really comes down to shoulders up. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why I like to do these pre-draft interviews um, is because uh, for the most part, you know, using their words and giving them a platform, um, you know, gives the readers a pretty good sense of who they are from shoulders up, uh, you know, what they've got going on between the ears and, and how they present themselves and, and what they see for their own future. Yeah. And Brian, I, I appreciate the way that you go about the interviews that you conduct and, and all of the work that you do with them, because I think it's kind of opening a, a door for everybody to see inside kind of what they're like. And, and that's uh, it's revealing without uh, putting them in a, in a spot of discomfort. And I, I really appreciate that uh, because a lot of times I think this is a circus for all of those guys and to find a friendly face, somebody that they trust opening up to who's you know, not putting a ton of pressure on them is, is important. Um, but at the end of the day, you've done what, 15 of these? Is that right? I think, yeah, I think we're at 16 now. I got my last one coming out uh, tomorrow and that will wrap up the series. Uh, you know, I've got plenty of good videos this year uh, as well, which was something that I hadn't really done as much of in the past because uh, in the past it's just been phone calls. And, and now uh, we've got, you know, a whole team of people who are editing this together and um, you know, getting some uh, some FaceTime too, so we can actually see what they look like when they're giving us answers. And you know, in one case or two cases or three cases, we got to hear some pretty fun accents. You know, I think Jeremy Sohan uh, has an incredibly charming uh, personality, and it comes off even more uh, when you hear him speak. Um, so that was something that I really liked about this too, is being able to you know show a decent amount of uh, you know who these guys are, um, not only with the words they say, but also how they say them, because I think that also is sometimes. This is important too, is, um, you know, not only what did you say, but how did you say it? Did you sound like you believed yourself when you said it? Like, are you second guessing yourself? Are you swallowing your words or are you saying it confidently? And, you know, some of these guys don't have as much media experience yet. And I totally get that. But I do know that when I interviewed Isaiah Stewart on um, the 2020 NBA draft, he said those words and he meant them. And that's why two years later, when he was fighting, literally physically fighting with LeBron James, there was nothing surprising about it because I heard the conviction in his voice uh, you know, a couple of years prior when he was talking about all the guys drafted ahead of him. And, you know, you know, Draymond Green was one of those guys who kind of came off the same way in the pre-draft process. And if they're coming off that way to me, I assure you they're doing the same thing with NBA teams tenfold uh, because those are their actual job interviews. I'm just the guy giving them, you know, a couple extra opportunities to get the public on their side, maybe. Uh, but if they're talking to me this way, you know, I imagine they're bringing the heat even more at these NBA teams. So I can't even imagine what Isaiah Stewart must have said in some of these pre-draft interviews with teams. Um, and, and there are some guys from this year, too, I think, uh, exude similar confidence. And, you know, there, there are guys who have quiet confidence, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, nothing wrong with that either. But there are also some guys and, you know, some scouts that I've spoken to have said, like, yeah, I just wasn't buying it. You know, I heard what he was saying. You know, the words were fine, but 
I, I just don't, I just don't buy it. Um, and I think that that is totally, uh, you know, totally fine. I think maybe another team might buy it. Uh, but you know, that does come down to the decision-making process a lot of times, you know, um, you know, I think when I, uh, talk to scouts after the NBA draft come by and I'll say like, who was, you know, your favorite interview and who was your, your least favorite interview. And, um, you know, for me, like when I ask for favorite interview with other reporters, sometimes it's just who gave the best quote, uh, for them, it's like, you know, no, truly like you're interviewing for a job. So who, like the guys who were interviewing really well and the guys who were interviewing really poorly, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll see that and, I almost have to laugh because I'll see a guy get mocked to that destination. I'm like, I heard that that scout thought he was literally the worst interview in the entire combine. And, you know, they're talking to so many guys at the combine. So, um, you know, obviously that's not uh, the case every time. And, you know, I think something I want to reiterate too, is that maybe I could talk to somebody and you could talk to somebody and a scout for, uh, you know, one team could talk to somebody and we could come away with three different assessments the same way that the scouts within an organization and the executives within an organization can completely disagree as well. Um, you know, I think that one, uh, one thing I really come to understand is a lot of times with the draft process, um, you have a composite big board of kind of, you know, what your scouts and executives feel uh, and they kind of take a composite score from that. And that's going to be the guy they're going to end up drafting uh, because, you know, just because one scout thought the guy was, you know, full of BS um, maybe the other guys bought it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, uh, that's what it takes. And the scout, the scout didn't buy it, you know, he can say, ha ha, if he's right. And he can uh, be, be glad he was wrong if, he, if they, if they were wrong about him and he was a good player. Well, and, and it's a mystifying process because there are so many elements that go into it, right? Not just the, uh, you know, the factors about one guy in an organization, maybe liking him and another one, not, but uh, we all know there are some pretty damn ridiculous questions that get thrown out there. Some teams try to trip people up. They, they treat it more like a test. Others are trying to develop relationships and get the kid to open up and see a little bit more genuine. Like we, we gloss over the fact that, and, and, and I'm, I'm really happy we had Jared Roden on our podcast earlier this week to just try to shed some light on what this whole pre-draft process is like. And when you're flying for, you know, across the country and back multiple times a week, working out physically for all of these teams, you have to get your own workouts in on like, it's a whirlwind of a process. And I think it's okay to have one bad day in there where you don't interview as well, or, you, you know, I've walked away from interviews where I'm on either end of the table and said like, yeah, that probably didn't go great for me today. Like it happens. So I think that, you know, we're all human in this process and there's going to be human error that goes into it just because somebody has a poor interview with one team or doesn't strike a chord with their management side doesn't necessarily mean that that's universal. That's a bad kid. That's reflective of the entire experience. So, uh, you know, a lot of what we're going to hit on here and I'm going to ask you some questions about specific guys that you've had the opportunity to interview and, and get to know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be the experience for every single team, every single franchise. They may feel very differently than you do, than we all do. And I, I'm glad you made that point. Definitely. And definitely. And, you know, another thing that I do want to say though, is you talk about, um, uh, how it's been a whirlwind of a process. And I think for a lot of guys, these guys, you know, maybe it is their first time taking as many flights, you know, in such a short period of time. Well, the NBA is going to be a whirlwind of a process too. 82 game season, you get a lot of road games, you spend a lot of time flying, then the playoffs come and it's going to be more intense than even this maybe in some ways. So, um, you know, guys who maybe crack under pressure during this environment, um, you know, doesn't necessarily speak well to how they're going to do in a playoff environment, NBA finals environment. 
uh, and vice versa. You know, the guys who rise to the occasion, uh, you know, during this pre-draft process, um, who continue to impress night in and night out, um, maybe do uh, have some success. So, you know, I think that we 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 really couch it a little bit uh, by talking about uh, you know the fact that just because you know you and I might feel some way or some scouts I'm talking to might feel some way does not mean uh, anything about you know uh, how they're going to be as well because. I mean, shoot, Adam, like some of these guys are 18, 19. Like, I, I mean, you know, I thought that I was mature for a 19 year old, but the things that I said then would be nothing like the things that I say now. And a lot of these times, you know, the guys who are playing for a championship, you know, are closer, you know, to, to our ages uh, than they are at 18, 19 years old. You know, some of the most important NBA players, you know, or Chris Ball right now is 37 and LeBron is 37. You know, the answers they give at 18, 19 are, are really different. Uh, and the ones they'll give when they're actually playing for championships. So um, that's another thing is, you know, these guys develop, these guys mature. Um, and, you know, sometimes when they ask questions, these front offices about how many chairs can fit in this room or whatever, it's just to hear you talk. It's just to hear your thought process. They don't actually want you to get the right answer. Um, you know, I know that there was a report that came out um, that Alondis Williams was wearing a shirt at the combine. Um, and I right. think that, you know, an NBA team asked him, hey, why did you choose to wear that shirt? He didn't have an answer. Um, and, and I think that he could have said maybe anything at all. Um, and it would have been uh, potentially uh, better than having no answer. Um, yeah. I think that that's not a shot of the lawn Williams by any chance. I, I just think that, um, you know, they just want to hear your thought process, what I'm trying to say. When they're asking you why you're wearing the shirt, it's just to hear you think. Like, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, Brian, let's get to some of the interviews that you've conducted and, and your your feel on some of these guys. You'd mentioned Jeremy Sohan from the very beginning there as a charming guy, a great, uh, you know, a, a great accent. But as a personality, he seems to have a little bit of flair just in terms of how he carries himself on the court, the multiple hairstyles. I mean, what was he like as an interview? Is he a pretty engaging guy? What type of, of feel did you have for him? Yeah, I mean, and then I also, it's, it's, you know, it's fun we talk about him first because I also had a chance to meet him in person today. You know, I do, I've done these over Zoom and stuff, and I do think I get a pretty good sense. I mean, Adam, you and I have never met, but we've talked over Zoom, so we, we know each other. But I did have a chance to meet Jeremy in person today, and his vibe and his energy is kind of the same way. And, um, you know, I was sitting with uh, another NBA writer, one of my favorites, uh, James Herbert from CBS Sports, who was just, you know, a legend in the space too. And, and James and I kind of come away the same way when it comes to Jeremy's analysis. We just, we can't get enough of the guy. Like we, we love him. Um, you know, we were talking to NBA PR people too, and, and, and they, they agree with us. I mean, for the most part, like Jeremy is so different than any prospect I've ever spoken to. Um, you know, he's, he's a hundredth percentile in the uniqueness factor. Uh, he's lived everywhere. You know, he uh, was born in Oklahoma, I believe. And, um, you know, was raised in, in the UK and, um, you know, came back to, uh, to prep school here in Indiana, went to prep school with Jaden Ivey, um, right. you know, and uh, then went, went back to the, uh, went back to Europe and then played semi-professional uh, without a contract, of course, because that's how he kept his uh, collegial ability uh, in Germany. Uh, but, you know, this is not to mention the fact that he's Polish and plays for the Polish national team, not the, you know, U19 team, but literally the Polish national team, youngest player to ever suit up for them. And, um, you know, one of my favorite Jeremy stories, and obviously we're going to hear a lot more of these over the course of his career, is just a couple of days ago, he was doing his press conference with the media. Uh, and I, I'm forgetting again, I think it was the Pacers. Yeah, I think he missed his Pacers workout because of a flight issue. Uh, and uh, he was redirected, his flight was redirected to St. Louis. And his answer that he gave reporters was, 
well, you know, it's all right because I got to see St. Louis and uh, that I'd never been to St. Louis before. So it was cool for me to be able to get a chance to see that new city. Um, I, I love his curiosity. Um, I love the way that he presents himself. Um, I, I asked him some of the things he likes to do when he's not playing basketball. The first thing he said was, you know, today I really wanted to go to the zoo and then see the animals. Um, I have done these pre-draft interviews for years. I've definitely never heard anyone even mention the zoo, let alone as fast as he did. Um, so that's all to talk about his, uh, his off the court stuff on the court. I mean, he is, a, he is a dog. He really is. We're going to probably use the word dog a lot because he's kind of the most common word and uh, in, in these circles right now, some of these prospects, but um, you know, I, I truly think he is the best defensive player in this draft. Uh, I think that obviously Chet and, and, and Jalen and, and Walker and Mark Williams are, are probably, you know, better rim protectors, but in terms of his ability to actually guard one through five, uh, I think he has the best shot of being able to do that. Uh, every prospect loves to say I can guard one through five. Uh, Dale and Terry uh, was awesome. He said he can guard three and a half positions. I thought that was like yeah. a much more honest assessment. Yeah. You know, um, I think that in a pinch, all of these guys can guard one through five, which is maybe what they're saying. But I think when in terms of guarding them well, Jeremy's probably got the best shot of that. If yeah. you look at the synergy numbers, he's one of the only guys who defended pick and roll ball handlers and pick and roll roll men as well as he did. Um, you know, in terms of guys who, uh, you know, were able to beat dudes off the dribble, uh, you know, there was basically no one who got their dribble jumper off of Jeremy. He's a menace. Um, he is going to lead the NBA along with, you know, sorry, Eason among rookies next year uh, in, in hustle stats like deflections. Um, you know, loose balls recovered, you know, all those fun stats of the NBA tracks. He's going to be one of those guys. If you look at, um, you know, Getty images for pictures of Jeremy, he's on the floor in like 10 of them, you know, like he is truly every game you're going to see him dive in for loose balls. I mean, um, you know, it's like uh, something that is true to his identity. Um, and, and for me, and maybe this is a problem of mine, but I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's one of my favorite things that I do during the, uh, my evaluation process. Uh Take away every single shot attempt this kid has. <laughs> Who is he as a player? Um, you know, take away his 15 shots a game he got, um, you know, at a school last year, his mid-major or, you know, whatever it may have been. And, um, you know, what's he contributing to the NBA team? Because, frankly, rookies don't get too many shots. You take away that, shoot, Jeremy might be top three on a board. Um, I think that that's something that I just adore about his game uh, is, you know, for the most part, you know, this is something that Scotty Barnes checked last year too. Uh, Scotty Barnes also had a similar um, trajectory last year uh, when it came to what scouts thought about him during the interview process. They loved him. His personality is infectious. Um, you know, he, he's got a cool energy. Uh, and I think that, you know, you, you, I give you some of these answers and people might think like, oh, this dude's kind of a weirdo. He's kind of quirky. Like, no, he's, he's low maintenance too. He, was, he wasn't like a McDonald's All-American, like uh, diva personality. Like he's like, he stays true to himself. He's cool, cool dude. Like uh, one of those guys who I think that if you didn't know he was uh, about to be an NBA player, you could easily strike up a conversation with him on the subway um, and, you know, enjoy yourself without ever noticing that he was, uh, you know, going to make millions of dollars tomorrow. And he wants to go to the zoo. So we got like, to go to the zoo. I don't, I don't have a lot of pull in NBA front. I have zero pull in NBA front offices or circles in that regard, but we got to find a way to steer him to a city that has a zoo. Like this is just, this is, every my, zoo, this is my new every, mission for the next 24 hours. Every, every city has a zoo, but it's about finding the right zoo for Jeremy. 
<laughs> That's a, I, I guess we got to get in touch with him and figure out what that is. Like, you mentioned Dale and Terry for a quick second, given a really honest answer. I'm curious, were there a lot of guys that stood out as like really blunt or self-aware through this process of saying like, I really did not expect somebody this age or, you know, a, a lot of times guys have stars and ours. Everybody thinks they're a first round pick. Everybody thinks they're going to cut it out in the league for a long time. You have to have that confidence if you're going to make it at the NBA level. I'm not trying to knock that. But are there are there any guys that stood out as having just really not necessarily thoughtful answers, but just blunt, honest, self-aware? Uh, I think that these guys are being coached pretty well because I'd say all of them for the most part, uh, sure. maybe of the 15, 16, 17 guys I spoke to one-on-one, I would say maybe only one or two of them. I was kind of feeling like uh, you kind of have no idea who you are, man. Uh, so that is great. If I Maybe it's just the guys I'm picking. Uh, maybe, you know, from the intel I got, I avoided the guys who I thought maybe weren't going to be that way. I don't know. Um, however, you know, and I also, from what I understand, like the guys I didn't, some of the guys I didn't talk to, like Chet, I've heard is like the best when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, so like even some of the guys I didn't talk to, I think are really good about this. Um, you know, I think we can spend a whole segment uh, on, on you know, some of the guys, these guys I'll mention next. So uh, I guess the first one I'll mention in regards to the question you just asked, um, would probably be Jake LaRavia. I yeah. think that he uh, he strikes me as someone who will be in the league for a long time on the court and even longer uh, as an NBA personnel guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he could easily be a coach one day. I think he could even more easily be a scout. Um, <laughs> I think you'll get a huge kick out of this one. Uh, we were in a hotel lobby here in New York City uh, and, you know, I, when I start feeling more comfortable with a player, um, I'll start to ask, you know, about his opinions and other players, uh, guys, he actually played against, you know, Jake Arabia played in the ACC. He played against a ton of dudes on these big boards. I was like, Hey, do you want to go over my big board and tell me who I'm too high on and too low on? And not only was he telling me about guys that he played against, but he was talking about the international guys, the guys from overtime elite, the guys from the G league. And he started explaining to the, another guy who was in the room with us who Victor Wembanyama was. He was telling me a scouting report on the international guys coming in in next year's class. For you and me to hear Victor Wembanyama's scouting report, you know, a lot of people in our circles do that. But these players are so focused on the task at hand in terms of who am I playing against tomorrow. You know, he has the game plan for North Carolina. He doesn't have time to think about who's playing in France that's 17 years old. But he's giving player comps and styles of guys playing overseas. And he's 20 years old. And he's already also playing basketball at a high level himself. So uh, I think he's got a long future in the game. And, you know, your question about self-awareness, he he wasn't trying to be anything he wasn't. Um, and I think that, you know, he kept talking to me about how he's going to be a coach's player. He kept saying, like, I'm going to be a great role player. Like, I think that being a star in your role is um, – is the most important thing you could do, whatever that is, you know, Jason Tatum's role is to be a leading scorer for the Celtics. And, um, you know, Herbert Jones is, uh, you know, the guy who's supposed to do uh, the stuff that's not score for, for the Pelicans, you know? Um, And, and, you know, both those guys have tremendous value. Granted Tatum might have a tougher task in some ways, but um, you know, I think that uh, when you, when you look at um, role players around the NBA, uh, they have to want to do those kind of things. Uh, they have to want to do, you know, the dirty work. They're, 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 you know, hired guns to do exactly that. And, and Jake 
kept describing himself as a coach's player. I'm going to do whatever a coach wants me to do. Um, you know, he, he's, he's 20 years old. Yeah, of course you do coach spins. Um, of course you do. Um, and I think that, you know, he's, he's someone who, uh, is going to, going to make the coach really happy. Um, I think that, uh, when you look at the teams, he's getting mocked to the most often, um, you'll understand kind of even some of his personality just from that alone. Uh, the most common fits that I've seen among the reporters that are mocking him the most often are like the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies, the San Antonio Spurs. Um, literally, like almost every mock that I've seen him have him going to one of those teams, you know, kind of in that lineage of, you know, the Popovich tree with Steve Kerr. And, you know, Memphis has a lot of uh, similarities to, you know, the way that the organization has been run in San Antonio as well. And, um, you know, obviously Golden State has had a ton of tremendous success recently uh, with the draft. And, um, you know, granted, I can bring up those three teams, guarantee now he's going to go somewhere else because uh, <laughs> that's how this process always works. But uh, for the most part, um, I think that what I'm trying to suggest is the guy that is getting mocked to these places for a reason. It's not just, oh, they have the 23rd pick. He's the 23rd best player. Like, no, like these are these are thoughtful uh, uh, decisions by analysts who believe that he would thrive in that system. Sure. And, and I think, you know, shout out to Jake LaRavia. I love your, your analysis on, on the basketball head of him subscriber to the box and one. So huge. Is he really? He is indeed. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, like if he's subscribing to, you know, to coach spins, like the guy's got a head for the game in terms of wanting to get better. These guys that they've made it this far have made it because they've got the talent and they've got the hunger. So who's going to keep getting better? Like if he's reading your scouting reports, like he's, he's deep in this shit, man. Like he is. Yeah. And I think there are guys who, you know, when they see their own name and their own scouting report out there, they want to go check it out and, and see, you know, exactly what's being said about them. But what I appreciate is like, you know, I put in a, a decent amount of thought to some improvement areas for these guys and not just throwing out the, the powder and the puff pieces of saying like, yeah, you're great at all of these different things. I try to challenge them on, on what they need to improve why they're not necessarily winning me over wholeheartedly. And for guys who take that in stride and either share some feedback with me or share it out to their own followers and, and want people who are in their inner circle to read that, I think it, it shows, like you said, a certain level of maturity or self-awareness. Uh, the Ravia one is spot on for me. Anyone else that, that was pretty, pretty self-aware or, or had some good feedback from your interviews? Oh, it's a, it's a different kind of situation, but Dalen Terry is someone I want to mention now because we were just talking on the before. Uh, it's self-awareness in a different way. I think he knows he's, you know, kind of a, a crazy guy in that sense. Like, I think he, he it's like kind of that Isaiah Seward thing. I mean, he said to me, he was like, I want dudes to fear me. Like, I really do. Like, I, I, I want to gain respect around the league. I want everyone to know that my presence is here. Like, that is a self-awareness. Like, if the question is self-awareness, like, he brings that too. Um, and I think he knows who he is. I mean, he also said at the same time, it was like, you know, I have uh, a desire to have you know people fear me, but also I want them to want to play with me. And also I don't really care because as long as I'm comfortable in my own skin, that's really what matters most. Um, you know, I think that he's absolutely right. And, you know, I asked him a little bit about uh, being slighted and he talked to me before about like, um, you know, he knows all the guys who were five stars in high school when he wasn't. Right. You know, he, know, he knows the guys who um, made the U19 USA team when he didn't. And not only that, you know, the U19 team was coached by TCU and the point guard was Mike Miles. 
I mean, he also he also knows that he beat TCU in the tournament, and he did not forget that. You know, he he's like, you know, going to take those notes. He's going to be one of those guys who keeps track of who's drafted ahead of them. And when he plays them on the court, he wants to destroy them. He specifically mentioned that he's lifelong friends with Ty Ty Washington that grew up together in Arizona. He's just like, Ty Ty fought because of this stuff. You know, he's like, when we play, like, it's like, yeah, we're like best friends. Like we text each other. It's all love. But like, we've gotten into it for real, like about this stuff. Like, um, I think that, uh, he's going to going to annoy and pester people next year. Um, and that's and a I good role. That's a good role for him on court because of this skill set, his body type, his athleticism, like when the personality and, and those traits really reinforce what the role is going to be for those guys on an NBA floor. That's when the marriage comes together of saying, okay, now I'm going to buy in on this guy succeeding. Definitely. And, and I think that, um, you know, for me, I, I just, I bought what he was selling. I really did. Um, I think that there are probably, if I'm like, I'm like too nervous to put on my big board, man. I really, I really just like, don't think it's worth it. I'm already losing connections in this industry based off where I have guys in mock drafts. Uh, I, I just don't want to deal with it. There are, there are agents who are restricting access to me for next year uh, from placements in mock drafts. Mock drafts are based off what I'm hearing sometimes. Big boards is, that's harder to justify. <laughs> and you know what though, but, but, and, and this is, look, I'm not trying to throw any specific agent under the bus. Um, but a lot of times we're seeing it right now. How many players are projected to be in the first round or, or think that they are going to guys be- fall guys fall every year. They fall every year. And I think that this year in particular, there seems to be an astronomical number of guys who, and we joke about it, right? 40 to 50 guys that we've heard rumored to go in the first round. I think that some agents do their guys a disservice if they don't hold up the mirror and are very, very clear about what the buzz out there is. Like these mock drafts that you do based so much on Intel mine, a little bit less Intel, a little bit more of kind of fit and evaluation. Like this is positive feedback for those guys for realistic purposes. How do we prepare our client for what may or may not be out there? And this backlash that there seems to be of, I disagree with that assessment Therefore, I'm going to shut that person off. I, I think that's really unfortunate. At the end of the day, it does a disservice to a lot of these kids now and in the future. That, and I think I, I mean, I guess just this is no, I, I doubt that, you know, these agents are going to hear this part of the podcast. But if they do, like, I've told all of them, if you don't agree, like, please call me and like, let's right. discuss it. Right. Um, convince me, you know, if I haven't had a chance to meet this kid or talk to him yet, tell me about his personality in a way that I don't necessarily understand. Set up an interview with him, with him. You know, like if you think he's like gonna gonna explain it better than I, than you could. Um, give give him a chance to tell his story. And, and similarly, um, you know, tell tell me what I'm missing with his game that you're seeing in the gym that I'm not. Um, you know, I'm happy to I'm happy to listen. Uh, and, and so that's something that I kind of want uh, to reiterate too is like I I think that I might be uh, more stats based and then more like shoulders up. Like what do I know about the guy's personality than than uh, most so guys who are like celebrated off their athletic potential I don't necessarily value as highly um, but maybe there's something I just don't know because I don't see the stats and I haven't met them um, and well, so and, and there are great ways to be able to handle this right so last year I had one guy who I wasn't overly high on on my board did a video on him came out with the scouting report his agent reached out to me and was like dude you're, you're way too low on this guy and it's for all of the like you said the shoulders up 
all of those intangibles and the mental things. And I didn't have access to any of that stuff by the time I had the scouting report. So starting to get to know a little bit more of a field that I will tell you now, a, a year or so removed from the situation, not only was the agent correct and the dude's proven me wrong, but now the agent and I have a much better rapport where he feels comfortable in trying to get me those situations on the front end. And I have no problem going to him and saying like, hey, I don't have a great feel for this guy. Can you get me some information, some intel? How can I have a chat with him? So Definitely. There, Definitely. there are really real ways to be able to handle this stuff with the media, with the people that are handling this on a much larger scale than I am or, or you are. But on the same token, like it should all be about what's in the best interest of the prospect of the kid. And, and I think sometimes that gets a little bit wrapped up in the control aspect of wanting to make him a first round selection, wanted to control the narrative of all the time and have it be so positive. Like, no, feedback is okay because not everybody is or is going to have to agree with it. 100%, 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, um, you know, frankly, like, uh, you know, it's, it's the guys who are telling these kids, hey, like you sign with me, I'll give you a million dollars right now. I'm going to get you picked in the lottery and then you give them a million dollars and it gets goes undrafted or goes late second. That's not a relationship that's built to last uh, in terms of the agency. And for the most part, those guys end up leaving the agent and going somewhere else uh, by the time a certain contract comes around. So, you know, that's, uh, I mean, that's obviously not happening in every case. Um, But, you know, for the most part, that's kind of my assessment of it. So happy to talk more about the kids than the agents. Uh, I think that they're, it's a more interesting conversation anyway. Um, but at the same time, like you, like you said, like um, it does play a role in, in uh, how the kids uh, present themselves because the agent sometimes does help control the narrative. And sometimes these kids are, um, you know, getting uh, better advice. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, for me, for example, like, I guess I'll, I'll use him as an example. Um, the first time I interviewed Leonard Miller, um, you know, he, 18 years old, would have been the youngest person in the draft uh, if he had stayed in. He definitely had no agent yet. Um, and you know, one of the, you know, you ask them like, you know, how much basketball do you watch? Uh, who are some of the guys you like to watch? You know, what are some systems you think could play well in that kind of stuff, you know? And like, for the most part, like he was basically kind of saying like, oh, you know, KD, KD's kind of the, the player comp for me. And it's like, I, I think that that's totally fine aspirationally, but I think that, um, you know, an agent will sometimes coach you to give different answers than, uh, just someone like KD, because sometimes, uh, you know, scouts want to hear, uh, more than that, because for the most part, you're not going to come into the league and immediately play like KD. So, you know, if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And, and that's one of the reasons why someone like Leonard probably did choose the G League Ignite route is now he's going to have a whole year of hearing those sort of things and learning those sort of things. And, you know, I bet when he's asked these kind of questions again next year, he'll have different answers, um, you know, than that. And I think, um, like I said, like, you know, he, he was living in a different country, you know, in Canada. The college basketball games aren't on as accessibly. Um, you know, you're not just sitting down to watch, uh, you know, uh, a random game because that's not what's on TV in Canada all the time. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, it's, it's something that uh, people take for granted sometimes is just the knowledge of, of how this process works. And, you know, sometimes you gain a lot of knowledge uh, from your camp. Yeah, a- agents are incredibly important. We're not trying to, to say otherwise here, but uh, I think there's 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 a lot of guys that go through that process and, and receive good feedback, good Intel and, and understand how to carry themselves. But, uh, but not for sure. It's uh, Leonard Miller is going to be an interesting one next year, not just because of the personality, but the extra year in the G league Ignite was hundred percent the, the right move for him uh, for every reason. So yeah, Ryan, definitely. 
Brian, let's, uh, let's keep focusing a little bit more on some of these prospects. Any small tidbits, takeaways, any, any you know, noteworthy parts of interviews that you had that you would want to bring forward here and share real, real briefly? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. was a really interesting one for me. Um, you know, he took full responsibility uh, for, for everything that happened last year. I mean, he explained, like, you know, I had some injuries. I had a lot of personal stuff going on. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, you can't make excuses. Like, when you go out there, you have to play the best, and I didn't play the best. Um, so I, I really enjoyed getting to know uh, him because I thought that was a really interesting, um, you know, example of just, like, hey, like, the film is not everything here. Like, there is a situation going on uh, with, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his personal life that um, maybe interfered in some ways and why he chose certain, like, that school or whatever it is, like, to be close with his family. Like, that is, like, totally understandable. And, like, then because of that, you know, other teams were able to game plan, um, you know, for the fact that this is the central point of their offense so we can send the house on them when it comes to totally blitz them on every possession. And, and so, uh, you know, just hearing him kind of explain that and walk through it and, and talk about some of the injuries that he's dealt with and, um, you know, kind of go through all of that with him. Uh, I thought it was super helpful. Um, I really appreciated my time with him. And, um, you know, that was one of the interviews I was most eager to do uh, because I was, you know, super excited about learning what happened. Um, you know, tell me, tell me what happened. Um, you know, not in a challenging way, but in a way of like, now I have a better understanding. Now I can make a more thoughtful analysis. Um, and, uh, you know, another thing with him is like, that dude is a film junkie for sure. And, um, you know, you ask him about, yeah, exactly. And you ask him about, um, you know, player comps, you know, he's talking about Tim Johnson, Michael Porter Jr., you know, all the guys who you would hope he would say. Uh, and by the way, Vince Williams Jr., who was another one I really wanted to talk to and um, you know, someone that I was eager to, and I think has been maybe the most underrated person uh, in the pre-draft process, in my opinion. Um, you know, not everyone is quite there with him uh, as much as I am, but uh, some people, you know, especially the more stats-based uh, analysts uh, are big fans um, because he does so many things well. Um, I was just praying when I asked for player comps that he would say uh, a certain player, and he did. He said Herbert Jones. Um, he's not Herbert Jones, you know, the same way no one's Draymond, the same way none of these guys who say that they're P.J. Tucker or P.J. Tucker, everyone's their own player. But in terms of uh, what role Vince Williams is going to need to play when he gets on the court next year, it needs to be the Herbert Jones role. That's going to be the key to his success, you know, in terms of how he's going to get minutes next year. And he nailed it. He said exactly that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't tee it up by saying, you know, are there any guys you like on the Pelicans? You know, I didn't like I didn't say anything like that. Like of all the guys in the league, that's the one player he mentioned. So I thought that was awesome. Same thing with um with Porter. Like if there's a guy that, you know, I would want him to say, it's Cam Johnson. Like that's the most idealized version I think of Patrick Baldwin. And um, you know, Patrick Baldwin was the high usage rate guy uh at was at, at Milwaukee. Um and so that's not what Cam Johnson is. Um, you know, like if he's playing the Cam Johnson role, maybe he could play a lot better. Uh, granted, there are concerns with what happened at the combine with his athleticism, uh, but I think that plays more into his injuries recently uh, than anything else. Um, so I think that, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, him understanding that, like, that floor spacing role is going to be better for him than his, you know, star, I'm going to be the focal point of an offense role, uh, makes a ton of sense for me, too. And um, so player comps is not something I spent a lot of time doing. 
but in, at least in, in that sense, uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, another guy that really, really, really stood out for me uh, is Arkansas's Jalen Williams. Um, love him. Love him so much. Uh, reminds me so much of, uh, I guess I'll, I'll choose these names specifically, Xavier Tillman and Jeremiah Robinson Earl uh, in terms of guys who are, they're not going to be picked in the lottery. They're probably not even top 20 picks, but I bet they're going to play a long time in the league. Um, and I think that uh, Jalen knows who he is. Um, he, I mean, he, he's going to fill up the hustle stats too, obviously. Um, you know, I <laughs> He, he averaged 1.8 charges per 40 minutes last yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, the next best draft prospect was 0. 0.5. Right. Um, so yeah. more, yeah, more than, more than triple. Um, you know, he knows who he is for sure, but you know, the charge thing is not going to necessarily translate to the NBA. Like, I don't think he's going to be doing that as much. Uh, he's not going to get those same whistles. However, um, you know, his ability to play a role at a high level, his ability to pass dribble handoff, you know, play make out of the short role whatever it might be, uh, is going to translate, I think, very well. Um, and I think that he's got a great IQ for the game. Um, you know, I think that – I guess there's a little piece of intel I learned is that, you know, one team uh, told me that uh, when – actually, this was in response to something I was talking to them about you specifically. Um, but uh, one team told me that the best player who answered uh, this particular question uh, was Jalen Williams. And the question was, um, you know, how would you guard X player? And they started going through players in the league uh, and, and no one gave a better answer than Arkansas's Jalen Williams in terms of like, here's how I would do this guy. Here's how I would guard this guy. Here's how I would guard this guy. And so I asked him about that. I asked him about uh, watching film uh, as well. And, you know, he was just like, I was literally watching film in class. Like I could not go to sleep without watching the game. Like if after, once the game was over, like I'm watching the game again before I'm going to bed. Uh, I watch every game multiple times, not on my own. And that's not including the film study we do with Arkansas. He, he and I should talk then because I had a lot of those similar habits, both in college and now. That's uh, that's funny. But it, it, yeah, I, I like you know, I like hearing these stories about prospects and getting to know a little bit more about who they are as people. You mentioned guys like Tillman or Jeremiah Robinson Earl, these you know 20s to 30s draft picks, guys who even early on in their career, you just look at them and you say, that is a long-term role player in this league. That's somebody who's just going to make it. Uh, do you find that there is a correlation between some of the interviews that you've done with guys who really blow you away and are, and are I don't want to say mature, but, but are mature and, and, and handle themselves well in that setting and you buy into, and then the, their success at the next level and the longevity, as opposed to those who might be a little bit more mundane or run of the mill in terms of interviews? I mean, yes. Like, um, you know, this is not like to pat myself on the back. Um, but you know, I had, I, I had Tyrese Halliburton at two. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it was based off conversations, you know, of knowing the way he looked at the game. Um, I had Desmond Day in the lottery, uh, same thing. I, I mean, this is not, these like feel so obvious now. Um, but, but Desmond, and I think a lot of people on Twitter, by the way, were higher on Desmond Bay. Yeah. You and I were big on Sadiq Bay because we both had, you know, knew him a little bit and had the intel there. Yeah. Yeah. And Sadiq Bay was, you know, talking to me about reading Plato's, uh, you know, like allegory of the cave, you know, yeah. like, and that's, you know, some, what are you, two years in college or three? I mean, um, you know, he was talking about high level philosophy. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that, uh, Yes. I mean, like, uh, yes. And granted, I will say this, it happens the opposite way all the time. Sure. 
um, as well. So there are players that I've been way too high on because of the interview. Um, and sometimes, you know, like in, in like, you know, for me, like I had uh, Tyrell Terry, like astonishingly high and Thank there's just other, other stuff going on there. Um, and that like is probably, uh, you know, a, turns like as of right now, it seems like it might be like a swing and a miss by me. Um, and I get it, you know, maybe, uh, you only get a couple picks too. Some teams only get one pick. So me, maybe like I thought that draft, like I love Halliburton. I love Bain. I love Tillman. These are my guys. I love Sadiq Bay. I love Tyrell Terry. And like, you only get one pick and I go with Terry. Well, all the fact that I like these four guys who hit, but I picked the one who didn't, I, my job is on the line here. So yeah. that, that stuff happens. And, um, you know, I think that I, I definitely feel um, that uh, a lot of the times the guys more often than not, the interview followed me have success in the league. Um, and, you know, the guys that I was told, like, yeah, that guy's, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. Uh, don't, maybe don't bother interviewing him. Um, do tend to be guys who flame out more. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say there's no correlation. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say that because I do think that there is some correlation. I think that, um, you know, your desire to get better and your, um, you know, part of what this process is, is finding someone that you're going to spend the next four to seven years with and maybe more. Um, no so if he was an insufferable interview, I mean, he's maybe not going to be great to have in the locker room for four to seven years either. Well, and it reminds me of something that I was taught when I was a young college coach and trying to figure out how to recruit and develop relationships with guys and, and how to value, you know, who they are as people versus the skills they bring to the table. And uh, one mentor of mine said, recruit guys that you want to have a beer with when they graduate. And, and I think that that that's still something that I carry with me to this day when having conversations with people or trying to judge things on, you know, whatever happens in life, not just recruiting or, or things of that nature. But um, I think that's a really fascinating way to look at things because yeah, you're inviting this person into your family, your organization, you're going to spend every day with them for the next several years of your life. How comfortable do you feel with that person? Is it the right person to be able to do that? So uh, Brian, that's why I think that this is such an important podcast for us to do why I wanted to have it here released day of the draft because so much of this is mental so much of this is personality and I spend I'm guilty of this I spend way too much time on our channel with the scouting reports and the things that we do just talking about the film the product that we see on the floor when there's so much of it off of it that really goes into dictating success well together we have a, a nice little brain there because I have not coached high level basketball. I have not played high level basketball. So, you know, I've done my best. I've taken courses. I've, I've read books. I, I study as much as I can. I talk, but um, you know, my knowledge of the X and O's, like what, what I like to do is I like to take guys like you and um, you know, a lot of other guys on Twitter who, who do this and um, you know, guys around the league who I know too, who do this and, you know, find those people who tend to be graded out favorably. And then, you know, that's how I kind of pick who I talk to. Uh, from there is, you know, okay, this guy kind of has the talent on the court. Now let me go and find out the rest. I'm like the team psychologist in a way in that sense. But, um, you know, I think that my knowledge of the X's and O's is, uh, is not necessarily, you know, in the 75th percentile or better among people who do the draft Twitter stuff. Um, but I do think that I uh, have unique access and I'm really grateful for it. Um, and I, I work really hard to keep it. 
Um, and, you know, I work really hard to uh, do right by these players and to give them a platform to, uh, so that I can, you know, keep doing more of these in the future. And, you know, I think every year that I've done these, um, I've gotten more and more access to higher and higher ranked players and uh, having more of my pick of the litter in terms of like, hey, I'm going to talk to this guy because I really want to talk to this guy. Like, that is why I chose this prospect is because I'm really interested. One way or another, I'm interested. I want to hear, I want to hear the story. Yeah, and I think that's, I think, reflected in your work and how you promote a lot of this stuff and talk about these guys. Uh, but Brian, before we get out of here, I just want to wrap up with one question because, you know, I'm buddies with Sam Vecini and Matt Penny and those guys over the Game Theory Pod. There's a question that we, we've been floating out to each other and joke around about how much Matt Penny loves guys who were high school quarterbacks and views that as a, a, a great and an interesting indicator of future success. So Here's a question for you because I'm wrapping my head around this one. I still have no idea how to give an answer to it. What do you think would be a greater indicator of pro success? Somebody who was a quarterback in high school or somebody who was a point guard and then hit a major growth spurt and ends up being one of those bigger guys with guard skills. Oh man. Uh, I, I think I have a pretty good idea of, uh, of why you bring up this question. Uh, I'm going to go with the point guard uh the point guard because that's basketball but the uh the high school quarterback uh is it's a really fun one too and um I guess uh you know for me um you know I love talking to uh to David Roddy you know he was a high school football player um you know played I think he played against Jalen Suggs in high school football actually in Minnesota um so uh that was a fun one but uh you know the point guard is the obvious answer for for obvious reasons but uh I guess the way I'll answer that too is pushing back and say you know what about uh what about the shortstop? You know, what about the little league shortstop? Uh where's that guy's glove, you know? Uh, I I was more of a baseball player, so I'm curious about uh the baseball, the baseball analogy there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's look, I'm a big multi-sport guy. So I love seeing somebody that played and excelled at another sport. It's just that's something that I'm always drawn to. But the cerebral aspect of those games and how it translates always funny to me. Brian, yeah. thank you so much for joining us here, dropping your pearls of wisdom on us before we get you out let people know where can they find you what do you have going on on draft night uh brian kabrowski i will be going to the draft uh here in brooklyn i live in brooklyn and um i will be doing some red carpet stuff beforehand um and i will be heading to a cabin the day after and decompressing for a few days and uh kind of recharging uh some of those things because i am uh I'm kind of exhausted. So definitely uh, the day after the draft, getting, getting on a car and uh, going to the woods for a little bit. So that's perfect. Well, well-deserved and, and glad to see you there out in, in Brooklyn on graph, draft night. Hope you enjoy it. But uh, thank you again for, for joining us here. And a reminder for all of our viewers and listeners to mute your uh, notifications from Woj and Shams for the evening. Just enjoy the draft the way that it's meant to be consumed. And to always hashtag Ban the take foul. <laughs>